Long History, a journal of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama, part 15, face to face with death, the journey home. Hello everyone and welcome to Long History. And we've come to the final part of a journal of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama. It's a historic journey, being the first time that a route was found to India and the east by going around the southern tip of Africa. Now as this is the last episode, that means a new series will be starting soon, so don't forget to subscribe, and if this journey has interested you, don't forget that there's lots of other journeys on long history. We've crossed the Pacific with Magellan and Saavedra, we've witnessed the world-changing journey across the Atlantic by Columbus, and we've witnessed some of the early explorations of the area today known as the United States, by men such as Cabeza de Vaca and Hernando de Soto. In the meantime, however, we've still got this journey to finish off, the Gama has made it all the way around Africa to India, and his time in India didn't go very smoothly. And as he attempted to leave in the previous episode, he was followed by some boats. But now he's beginning his journey back to Portugal. It starts by them breaking up a boat that they captured as they sailed along the Indian coast. And just then, as they begin the journey home, one person they've taken with them suddenly announces he wants to tell the truth about what happened in India. This is a journal of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama, part 15, face to face with death, the journey home. Before the vessel referred to was broken up, its captain offered us 1,000 fanoish for it, but the captain major said that it was not for sale, and as it belonged to an enemy, he preferred to burn it. When we were about 200 leagues out at sea, the moor whom we had taken with us declared that the time for dissembling was now past. It was true that he had heard at the house of his master that we had lost ourselves along the coast and were unable to find our way home, that for this reason many vessels had been dispatched to capture us, and that his master had sent him to find out what we were doing and to entice us to his country. For if a privateer had taken us, he would not have received a share of the booty, whilst if we had landed within his territory, we should have been completely in his power, and, being valiant men, he could have employed us in his wars with the neighbouring kings. This reckoning, however, was made without the host. The Voyage Across the Arabian Sea Owing to frequent calms and foul winds, it took us three months less three days to cross this gulf, and all our people again suffered from their gums, which grew over their teeth so that they could not eat. Their legs also swelled, and other parts of the body, and these swellings spread until the sufferer died without exhibiting symptoms of any other disease. Thirty of our men died in this manner, an equal number having died previously, and those able to navigate each ship were only seven or eight, and even these were not as well as they ought to have been. I assure you that if this state of affairs had continued for another fortnight, there would have been no men at all to navigate the ships. We had come to such a pass that all bonds of discipline had gone. Whilst suffering this affliction, we addressed vows and petitions to the saints on behalf of our ships. The captains had held counsel, and they had agreed that if a favourable wind enabled us, we would return to India whence we had come. But... It pleased God in his mercy to send us a wind which, in the course of six days, carried us within sight of land, 
and at this we rejoiced as much as if the land we saw had been Portugal, for with the help of God we hoped to recover our health there, as we had done once before. This happened on January the 2nd, 1499. It was night when we came close to the land, and for this reason we put about ship and lay to. In the morning we reconnoitred the coast, so as to find out whither the Lord had taken us, for there was not a pilot on board, nor any other man who could tell on the chart in what place we were. Some said that we must be among certain islands off Mozambique, about three hundred leagues from the mainland. And they said this because a Moor whom we had taken in Mozambique had asserted that these islands were very unhealthy, and that their inhabitants suffered from the same disease which had afflicted us. Magadojo We found ourselves off a large town with houses of several stories, big palaces at its centre and four towers around it. This town faced the sea, belonged to the Moors, and was called Magadosho. When we were quite close to it, we fired off many bombards and continued along the coast with a fair wind. We went on thus during the day, but lay to at night, as we did not know how far we were from Milingue, whither we wished to go. On Saturday the 5th of the month, being becalmed, a thunderstorm burst upon us and tore the ties off the Raphael. Whilst repairing these, a privateer came out from a town called Pate with eight boats and many men. But as soon as he came within reach of our bombards, we fired upon him, and he fled. There being no wind, we were not able to follow him. Melindy On Monday the 7th, we again cast anchor off Melindy, when the king at once sent off to us a long boat holding many people with a present of sheep and a message to the Captain Major, bidding him welcome. The King said that he had been expected for days past, and gave expression to his amicable and peaceable sentiments. The Captain Major sent a man on shore with these messengers, with instructions to bring off a supply of oranges, which were much desired by our sick. These he brought on the following day, as also other kinds of fruit, but our sick did not much profit by this for the climate affected them in such a way that many of them died here. Moors also came on board by order of the king, offering fowls and eggs. When the captain saw that all this attention was shown us at a time when we stood so much in need of it, he sent a present to the king, and also a message by the mouth of one of our men who spoke Arabic, begging for a tusk of ivory to be given to the king, his lord, and asking that a pillar be placed on the land as a sign of friendship. The king replied that he would do what was asked out of love for the king of Portugal, whom he desired to serve, and, in fact, he at once ordered a tusk to be taken to the captain, and ordered the pillar to be erected. He also sent a young Moor, who desired to go with us to Portugal, and whom he recommended strongly to the captain major, saying that he sent him in order that the King of Portugal might know how much he desired his friendship. We remained five days at this place enjoying ourselves and reposing from the hardships endured during a passage in the course of which all of us had been face to face with death. Melindy to Saint-Brage 
We left on Friday in the morning, and on Saturday, which was the twelfth of the month, we passed close to Mombasa. On Sunday, we anchored at the Baixos de San Rafael, where we set fire to the ship of that name, as it was impossible for us to navigate three vessels with the few hands that remained to us. The contents of this ship were transferred to the other two ships. We were here fifteen days, and from a town in front of us called Tamugate, many fowls were brought to us for sale or barter in exchange for shirts and bracelets. On Sunday the 27th we left this place with a fair wind. During the following night we lay to and in the morning we came close to a large island called Jamjiba, which is peopled by moors and is quite ten leagues from the mainland. Late on February the 1st we anchored off the island of San Jorge near Mozambique and left at once. On the following day in the morning we set up a pillar on that island where we had said mass on going out. The rain fell so heavily that we could not light a fire for melting the lead to fix the cross and it therefore remained without one. We then returned to the ships. On March the 3rd we reached the Angra de Saubrage where we caught many anchovies, seals and penguins which we salted for our voyage. On the 12th we left but when ten or twelve leagues from the watering place the wind blew so strongly from the west that we were compelled to return to this bay. Saint-Brage to the Rio Grande When the wind fell we started once more and the Lord gave us such a good wind that on the 20th we were able to double the Cape of Good Hope. Those who had come so far were in good health and quite robust although at times nearly dead from the cold winds which we experienced. This feeling, however, we attributed less to the cold than to the heat of the countries from which we had come. We pursued our route with a great desire of reaching home. For twenty-seven days we had the wind astern and were carried by it to the neighbourhood of the island of Santiago. To judge from our charts, we were within a hundred leagues from it, but some supposed we were quite near. But the wind fell and we were becalmed. The little wind there was came from ahead. Thunderstorms which came from the land enabled us to tell our whereabouts and we plied to windward as well as we could. On Thursday the 25th of April we had soundings of 35 fathoms. All that day we followed our route and the least sounding we had was 20 fathoms. We nevertheless could get no sight of the land, but the pilots told us that we were near the shoals of the Rio Grande. Here the journal ends abruptly. The succeeding events may be shortly stated. Vasco da Gama and Coelho were separated in a storm, according to Resende. Coelho continued his voyage, arriving at Cascais below Lisbon on July the 10th, 1499. Vasco da Gama having waited one day for his consort, proceeded to the island of Santiago, placed João de Sa in charge of the São Gabriel and chartered a caravel in which he conveyed his dying brother Paulo to the island of Terceira. João de Sa arrived soon after Coelho and certainly anterior to August the 28th on which day the king addressed a letter to the Cardinal Protector of Portugal. Paulo died a day after he had landed at the Angra of Terceira and was buried in the church of the monastery of San Francisco. 
a resident of Terceira, one Arthur Rodriguez, at once started in a caravel to carry the news of Vasco da Gama's arrival to Lisbon. The date of Vasco da Gama's return to Lisbon is not known with certainty. The commission appointed in 1871 to remove the remains of Vasco da Gama from the church of Videgueira to Belém made every effort to ascertain the exact date, but in vain. And whilst Barros, Coinch and Pedro Barreto de Resende state that it happened on August the 29th, Castañeda fixes upon September the 8th, and a manuscript in the Torre do Tombo, consulted by Teixeira de Aragon, has September the 18th. Herculano, in a note to the second edition of the Roteiro, is content with saying that it happened at the end of August or at the beginning of September. Teixeira de Aragon assumes, on the ground of a vague expression in De Barros, that he reached Terceira on August the 29th, arrived at Lisbon on September the 9th and made his triumphal entry into the town on September the 18th. This assumption is partly supported by the statement of Barros that Vasco da Gama, after his arrival at Belém, on account of the loss he had suffered in the death of a beloved brother, spent nine days in retirement. I am myself inclined to believe that Vasco da Gama reached Lisbon on August the 29th and made his triumphal entry on September the 8th. So there you go, it's a strange ending for a journal of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama, although its abruptness does perhaps lead to its credibility, because one thing you'd expect in a journal like this if it was a fake is for it to have a rounded ending. Now I hope you'll forgive my Portuguese pronunciation here, I wasn't quite expecting there to be so many Portuguese terms and I don't really know how to speak Portuguese, but there are some names that cropped up in Portuguese that it would perhaps be worth translating into English. For example, when Vasco da Gama passed through Magadorsho, that is in fact Mogadishu in today's Somalia, there's mention of a large island called Jamjiber, which is actually Zanzibar in English, and then lots of names crop up at the end when the journal is actually finished. And I'm not an expert myself, but I think a lot of these names are Portuguese historians. And as is the ultimate aim of a certain type of historian, they want to know the dates when things happen. And unfortunately, it seems that we just don't know when Vasco da Gama's journey ended. But anyway, that's the end of a journal of the first voyage of Vasco da Gama. I hope you've enjoyed it. Don't forget that we've covered many famous explorers now, but there's plenty more to come. So watch out for the next series. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one and goodbye.